Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company, and now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 270 and happy 2024. This is the first episode of the new year, and I'm excited to share some handy tips and insights to kickstart your year on a high note and keep that energy going strong. Last year, my episode 223, which was do these three things for jewelry marketing success in 2023, was a hit, one of the most downloaded episodes I've ever released. And so in this episode, I'll quickly recap those three valuable tips because they're still relevant. Plus, I'll throw in three new ones that I believe are perfect for this year especially with the upcoming marketing trends that are expected to pop up along the way. I'm here to set you up for success. Later in this episode, I'll be chatting with Hillary from Hillary Fink Jewelry, who we've been spotlighting as a jewelry brand case study. And if you're joining the podcast for the first time this season, I'd suggest starting with episode 252, That way you can meet Hillary and follow her journey from when we first started chatting with her. But before we dive into our interview with Hillary, let's quickly revisit the three things I suggested for marketing success in 2023. I'll discuss why they're still applicable. Also talk about three top strategies for achieving marketing success in 2024 and explore how you can stay committed to your marketing efforts. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I also want to announce the Joy Joya 2024 Name Your Price Emerging Jewelry Brand Incubator. This is so exciting. If you're an emerging independent jewelry brand looking for strategic digital marketing from Joy Joya, but you're also worried you simply can't afford professional marketing support, in the new year, yes, now, we're launching an emerging jewelry brand incubator for just 10 brands that will have the opportunity to name their price, (laughs) it's true, for professional marketing services. Really, we're just determined to make marketing support more accessible. This is not a joke. There's no catch. Totally serious about this. Basically, after working in this industry for almost 10 years, I've noticed so many brands out there that could greatly benefit from additional marketing assistance, but often it has seemed challenging for them to access the support they need. And maybe you feel like you are one of those brands. So we wanna establish that strong marketing base for you, enabling you to elevate your brand to the next level. 
if you're curious about this and you want to know more information and how to apply, visit jewelrybrandincubator.com. And that link will be in the show notes as well. But don't wait too long because applications for this are limited and they close on January 31st. Okay, let's get into today's episode, my sparklers. Are you ready to set yourself up for success in the new year? So first, let's quickly revisit those three things I suggested for marketing success in 2023 back from episode 223. So I'll talk about why they're still so applicable. I won't go too much in depth, but if you do want more of that deep dive, please go back to episode 223 and refresh your memory. So the first thing that I suggested was to conduct a SWOT analysis. Basically, SWOT, S-W-O-T, stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. And in 2024, if you want to ensure the success of your jewelry business, conducting this SWOT analysis really involves an honest evaluation of your strengths, such as what you excel at compared to competitors and your internal resources. Also, you'll be looking at your weaknesses by identifying resource gaps, any obstacles hindering your goals, and for opportunities, you'll want to consider both existing and potential avenues for growth, like serving underserved customer segments or exploring unique approaches to marketing. Lastly, you want to be aware of market threats. So staying informed about industry trends, consumer preferences, external factors like the economy, those things may all influence purchasing decisions. So it's so important to start the year off looking at all of these things. And this is always important regardless of the year, because while the specifics of the SWOT analysis may change over time due to evolving circumstances, that underlying concept of assessing strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats is always relevant. So regularly doing this analysis allows you to stay agile and responsive to things that will always be changing. My second tip from that episode was to set smart goals based on past performance, the reality of external circumstances, and the vision that you have in your mind for your jewelry brand. So we've talked about this before, following that SMART method, which stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. Being specific really helps break down larger goals into manageable milestones. Also, having those measurable goals involve having those key performance indicators or KPIs. When you have attainable goals, those consider your past growth as well as external factors in the world, making sure your goals are relevant so that they are aligned with what truly matters for your business, and giving yourself a time frame to not only create urgency, but also a time frame for 
when you should expect to achieve the goal. So embracing this SMART method enhances your goal setting process for greater success. And this is consistently relevant and important regardless of the year because again, it provides that structured and effective framework for goal setting and achievement. My third tip from that episode was to throw the checklist out the window. So break away from that checklist mentality in digital marketing. Instead of following the crowd and doing all the things you think you're supposed to be doing, instead aim to create a blue ocean. So that means carving out your own space in a red ocean that's just like swimming with sharks, (laughs) okay? So this means being unique and memorable. So identify your unique value proposition. That can be done through your SWOT analysis. Experiment with some unconventional marketing tactics this year. Tell a brand story that really stands out. Aspire to be a disruptor by addressing those unmet industry needs and catering more to specific niche customers. And those approaches will help you stand out from the competition and foster innovation in your jewelry business. So stopping the practice of simply checking the boxes is more relevant than ever because in today's rapidly evolving digital landscape, Those generic strategies, they're not going to work anymore. If you want to thrive in a competitive marketplace, then businesses like yours need to break away from the norm, embrace creativity, forge unique paths to engage and captivate your audience. And with the rise of AI and its use in marketing and business practices, this is even more true than ever. So now that I've recapped those tips from 2023, let's talk about some new strategies for achieving marketing success this year in 2024. My first tip, diversify your business. So for a jewelry business to truly diversify and safeguard longevity while promoting growth in the face of changing consumer behavior and market conditions, it would mean expanding product and market reach in several ways. But you also wanna be careful not to water your brand down too much when you're diversifying. So what do I mean by that? Here are some ideas. You could try market segment diversification so that includes expanding into new market segments, maybe like men's jewelry, custom designs, culturally specific jewelry. Again, you don't want to go into the realm of watering down your brand, but maybe there's an opportunity to tap into previously untapped customer bases. You can try distribution channel diversification. So beyond, let's say you have an e-commerce shop, Can you move into brick and mortar? Can you do some more pop-up shops, partnerships with other retailers? Or if you don't do direct consumer, is that an option for you? Basically looking into sales channels that you're not already utilizing to reach a wider audience and not be so dependent on your existing sales channels. Maybe this is geographical diversification. So expanding into new geographic regions or targeting international markets. Those can provide growth opportunities and reduce reliance on a single market. 
Maybe you want to think about collaborations and partnerships, collaborating with other brands, designers, or influencers, which can really create buzz and introduce your business to new audiences. And think about research and innovation as well. So continually researching consumer trends, market dynamics, and technological advancements, those are all essential for staying ahead and adapting proactively. Okay, my second tip for 2024, focus on transforming your brand into the storyteller rather than just having a story for your brand. So I talked more about this in the goldmine segment of episode 269, but here's the basic gist. So I recently came across this idea that the storyteller is more important than the story because with the rise of AI, content is just becoming much more generic. Consumers are a little mistrusting of content because they know that it's all becoming samified and perhaps not even created by a person. So when you think about your brand becoming the storyteller, that really emphasizes having an authentic, transparent voice and building trustworthiness in content creation. Again, especially in an age where AI is standardizing everything. For a jewelry brand, this could mean having a captivating founder, an actual person who really embodies the principles, um, or even if the jewelry brand doesn't have a captivating founder or spokesperson necessarily, how can the brand itself be more personable and relatable, more like a human than an institution or a business? And remembering overall that while AI can be a tool, it shouldn't in your business be replacing the importance of a genuine storyteller who makes it a priority to connect with the audience. And my third tip for 2024 is really build out your first party data. So that means collecting information directly from your audience rather than depending so much on social media platforms like Instagram. We all know that the algorithms can obscure what you know about your audience. They make it challenging for you to measure the impact that social media has on your business. But by doing things like converting followers into email subscribers or engaging with them through other channels that you own or can control, even like events, live and virtual events, any way that you have more direct access and engagement with your customers rather than through a third party platform like social media then you can gather more audience insights and engage with them more effectively. Please, please, I'm begging you, make this a top priority in 2024 if it's not already. Why? Because you'll have such greater insight into your business if you can get the data and behavioral information directly from your customers. So how can you really stay committed to your marketing efforts throughout the year? I want you to visualize success here. You're going to imagine the positive outcomes and benefits that will result from your consistent marketing efforts. But I also want you to set real realistic expectations. So consistency 
while it's amazing and important and actually vital for marketing, it's not always going to lead to immediate results. Marketing often requires time to gain traction, so you're going to have to be patient and realistic. Make sure you're breaking down your marketing goals into smaller, manageable tasks. That means creating habits if you're going to want to be consistent which you will want to be. So set aside dedicated time for marketing tasks. Avoid perfectionism. This is a huge, huge issue that I see, like avoiding action, avoiding steps forward because you're looking for some ideal that is not going to happen. There is no perfection in marketing. It's a constant process to try to do better work and better understand what the audience wants. Perfection does not play a role in that. And make sure you're reflecting and measuring regularly the impact of your marketing efforts. In our upcoming conversation with Hillary, we'll talk about how she manages and strengthens her relationships with retail partners. I wanted to add this interview to this particular episode because focusing on wholesale is a New Year's resolution for so many brands, and it touches upon my suggestion to diversify your business. So this conversation includes her strategies for selecting the products she offers to retailers, how her partnerships with retailers benefit her direct-to-consumer business, and her plans for expanding the wholesale aspect of her business in the future. Hey, Hillary, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Larissa. Great to see you. Great to see you. So I really want to focus today's conversations on the really amazing partnerships that you have with your retailers. And I know that retailer relationship managing those relationships is like a really big question mark for a lot of like smaller jewelry brands out there. So I'm excited to really get your take on it. Yeah, let's start. So tell me with your, the current relationships you have with retailers, how long have you been working with some of these stores and how did those relationships start? Uh, well, I restarted my business about five years ago. So, um, a couple of the stores, um, that I, uh, that I got into right away just because they were stores that used to carry my work. So that was really nice. Um, and then over time, I would say, this, you know, some of my more recent stores, it's been anywhere from like two to four years that I've been with them. Um, and it, I mean, most of these stores, it's all just because of Instagram. Again, it's like one of those things. It's all because of Instagram. Um, Either they find me, you know, they start following me and then maybe I'll be like, oh, that's a store that looks great. So, you know, I'll DM them and ask about whether they're looking for new artists or maybe they send me a DM or um, it's really worked out well that way. Um, Usually when I just send line sheets and emails, nothing really comes with that. So I think it's really kind of that more casual interaction on Instagram that's been really beneficial. That's so interesting. I hope it doesn't discourage people from doing the outreach with the line sheets because there are probably situations where that works, but it's really interesting Mm -hmm. to hear like how it has worked out for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, line sheets are really difficult for me just because so much of my work is one of a kind. Um, So I'm constantly, if I were to put out line sheets all the time, I would just have to constantly be redoing them. 
And maybe, right. maybe other clients do that because they're constantly putting out new production lines. But um, I also don't really like making line sheets. I'll just say that <laughs> I right know, now. we were just talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they uh. have to be tedious for a business with a business model like yours, because you are refreshing so often, probably not yeah. as tedious with like more of a production jewelry line. Yeah. And the only times I ever like feel super motivated to send out line sheets is usually toward the beginning of the year. Um, I just feel more refreshed like in February and March. So that's usually when it happens. So what do you do to keep those good relationships with the stores that sell your jewelry? And like, what does that entail? Um, I check in fairly often, you know, at least every couple months. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where if it's, if it's consignment account, which I do have a good amount of consignment, I mean, it's not ideal, but sometimes that's all that some stores will do. Um, if it's consignment, you know what they're selling, right? Because you're getting those monthly or bi-monthly um, sales reports. But if it's an account that's just wholesale, you don't really know what's selling. So you need to be in touch with them to just see how it's going, to see what new pieces they might need. And also, I think it's helpful to find out like what their clients are gravitating toward, um, either with your jewelry or other people's jewelry. You know, Are people liking bright colored gemstones? Are they into gold? Are they into silver? That kind of thing. Um, and so usually, um, you know, we'll do this via email or phone or text through Instagram. Sometimes we'll do a FaceTime if they want to actually see, you know, kind of see the jewelry, you know, quote unquote in person. Um, so there's all sorts of ways that it happens, but I just say, you know, just be friendly, be helpful, um, be, you know, amenable to what they're asking within reason. I like that last part you said, because it's just a reminder that there's no like hard rules for the mm -hmm. retailer relationship. I think some designers are maybe looking for like the rule book of like what to do and not to do. But just like you said, you have to kind of like assess each relationship for what it is. And I have some stores where the owner is like, don't email me. I get a ton of emails and it'll get lost. She's like, just text me. That's it. And so we just text or we have phone calls mm -hmm. and I find a phone call. I actually prefer, I mean, emails are great when you're kind of like laying out, okay, this is what you want. This is, you know, what I estimate the prices to be blah, blah, blah. But just for, I really find just like having a conversation is really the best way to, to be in touch and to find out what's going on. Absolutely. So since your model's a little uh, unique in that you sell a lot of one of a kinds, how do you kind of, pick and choose who gets what, or does the retailer choose? How does that all work? I always tell people the best thing is to just look on my ready to ship section. And if there are pieces in there that they're, um, that they'd like, send me an email or, you know, a text, whatever with their wish list. And if I can get them those pieces, I will. If I want them to stay on my website, sometimes I say, sorry, you know, that's only been on my website for a month. And I know some clients are kind of eyeing it, so I can't send that. Um, and, you know, I also say, like, check out my hand hammered section. Not all the pieces are ready to ship, but um, they complement, you know, the pieces with gemstones really well. So it's really more about, like, what they want than what I want them to have. I mean, of course, I, like I said, I'm not going to send them something that I don't want them to have, but... Um, 
it's, yeah, it's really just about what they want in their shops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So with these partnerships, these relationships that you have, what are the stores kind of doing to promote and advertise your jewelry? And are you ever involved in that process, like giving advice about how they can better sell it to customers, et cetera? Um, I would say all of my stores, most of them, they promote really well on Instagram. And, you know, I have every store that you're with, you should definitely have a contract. And for me, part of the contract says, you know, anytime you post something of my work on Instagram, you either need to tag me or you need to, you know, say my name in the, you know, Hillary Fink jewelry in the actual, you know, description of the, of the post. Um, I also say in the store, my, the jewelry needs to be marked with my name as well. Um, cause people need to know who, who made the jewelry, especially when it's handmade jewelry like this. So, um, a lot of stores, that's important to me that they advertise that way and they all will do that. There's no store that's been like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. You know? So that's always just good, like best practices for both parties. Um, and I think a lot of my stores also probably put out newsletters, um, and maybe they do direct mail. I'm not sure, but I mean, I think like most people, Instagram is really just the main way of being in touch with everybody. Um, and then in terms of, um, like me offering information to them, I put, when I send them an inventory list, I put all the, you know, the gemstones and all the materials included. And that's usually all that's ever really needed to be done. Um, if they have any questions, they can always contact me. I mostly ask, cause I find that some designers, maybe they have like really unique or interesting gemstones that are lesser known. Mm. Sometimes they feel like the store might need guidance or the sales people might need some guidance in selling them, but it sounds like you work with retailers that are kind of used to that kind of thing also. I'm sure I could be doing a, a better job, honestly, like, <laughs> I, you know, because I, I don't think we can take for granted that everyone in the stores actually knows that much, um, especially if they're not just purely jewelry stores. Um, they're boutiques, you know, the people working there may, may be more into clothing than jewelry. So, you know, you don't always know. I think that's actually a really good point. I could probably be doing even better at that. And then the more you talk to their staff about your pieces, I think the more they'll be comfortable talking to their clients about them. Yeah. And they appreciate it. They appreciate the product more. They can speak to their personal relationship with you also, which I think adds a lot to it as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So how do you find that these retail relationships kind of help bring customers directly to you because they first discover you through the store? Like, what have you seen with that? Absolutely. Being in stores, I think, is a really, really important way to build your um, your business, period. You know, it builds your wholesale business and it builds your direct business. Um, so, you know, since basically all the stores are on Instagram, a lot of my clients have found me because they've seen that store. Maybe they follow that store and that store posts my jewelry. Then those people will start following me and become clients. Or maybe people discover me actually, you know, at the physical location and then they've started following me or something like that. So it's, it's hugely important part of my business. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, direct obviously is great because you get 100% of the sales, but 
I think it's really important to kind of have a more, you know, all of the above diverse business plan. I think wholesale is incredibly important part of that. So do you have plans for working with stores in the future? What are some, some goals that you have with wholesale? Yeah, I would love to have, I mean, something pretty conservative, like three to five new stores next year. That'd be great. I mean, right now it's just me making the jewelry, so I can't really, I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how much I can handle. Um, cause I'm busy now and I, you know, most of my business has been direct, but, um, maybe I have to hire someone who knows. Um, so I'd love to be in a few more stores and, um, you know, maybe I'll send out some more line sheets at the beginning of the year, you know? Um, but, um, I'm pretty excited about, um, I'm going to do the New York now show. I was, um, I applied to be in, um, that emerging fine jewelers incubator with, um, Liz Kantner and, um, Robin Kramer and, I got in and I'm so excited just because I, yeah, I know I'm so excited. Um, I don't know. Wholesale trade shows just have seemed like the scariest thing in the world to me and they're so expensive. And um, so this is just a really great way to get into those um, with like a lot of handholding and a lot of promotion. I think um, that team is going to end up doing a lot of promotion and we're going to be a little like section inside the luxury section of, um, the jewelry section. So anyway, super excited about that. I'm hopeful I'm cranking out the jewelry right now to get ready for that show. Yeah. That's an awesome opportunity. Hillary and I agree, like the format that it's presented in, it's a good way to like dip your toe in it. So hopefully you can mm-hmm. meet the wholesale goals that you have for next year. Yeah, I hope so. You know, of course I'm, what is it? It's, you know, hope for the best. I'm not necessarily expecting the worst, but I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I just want to be realistic. I've heard from people that, you know, the first time you do a wholesale show, you may not really get any new accounts because people don't, know you. They don't want to, mm-hmm. they don't know what it's like to work with you. Um, so we'll see. I'm hopeful. Yeah. A good chance to establish relationships and even just to get feedback, like yeah. see what people say about, about what you bring in terms of product mm-hmm. to the trade show. And then also, you know, last early last year, when I sent around line sheets, which was the only time I sent around line sheets last year, <laughs> There were stores that were very interested and they were like, oh yeah, we love your jewelry on Instagram. Yeah. We'd love to have your jewelry in your store. Like, will you be at New York now? Will you be at Melly? And I was like, oh no. Um, and you know, so those stores I'll definitely be getting back in touch with and letting them know like, I will be here and you can actually see it in, in person this time. And, um, so I think that's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, wholesale trade shows are expensive and they're a lot of work. But I mean, I think a lot of shops, they really want to see the jewelry in person. Yeah. And it's just a central place they can go, like spend a day or two, like and see everyone that they want to see. So it's more convenient for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear about some, if you have any like really positive or really negative stories working with wholesale, just to give like, you know, a real life perspective into it. 99% of the time, everything goes really well. As long as you, as long as you kind of, you know, stay in contact and just are a pleasant 
person, it all goes well. Um, however, I would say that <laughs> if you are doing consignment and, you know, if you start to notice that the payments aren't coming like they were and they, but they are selling your work, you need to, like something's wrong. You know, I, so I think I had a really bad experience with the store here in San Francisco that ended up going out of business after COVID and, um, they owed a lot of jewelers, a lot of money and they didn't, they didn't pay. So, um, I started kind of noticing things were not right. Some other jewelers, you know, we're kind of all talking. We're like, when's the last time you got paid? When's the last time you got paid? And so, you know, you just have to be in touch with that, that store, like basically constantly. And if you start to notice that something like that is wrong, there's nothing wrong with just pulling your jewelry from that store and just kind of tying it up because it's, it's really not worth it. I mean, I'm not going to really say much more than that, but yeah. I would say just be careful. And, um, for the most part, everything's great. But if you start to notice that things are not as awesome, just follow your gut. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Unfortunate that happened, but a good lesson and good practice in like communicating and advocating for your business also. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm also curious, since more and more people are shopping online these days, especially after COVID, how has that, if at all, how has it changed the way you work with physical stores? A lot of stores that I work with have really good online presence and, you know, shoppable websites and a few of them don't, but it's okay because they know that like they are in a very good location and maybe they don't need as great of a website. Um, so to me, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, clearly I'm focusing a lot on my own website and my direct sales, but you know, like I said earlier, I think that having that balance between the two is really important. It's a lot of work to have a website and to keep up with it. Um, so yeah, I haven't really, hasn't really changed much for me. Yeah. I was just curious. And I think I agree. I mean, if you're in a good location, you probably need, don't need to worry about e-commerce. But who knows if a pandemic <laughs> ever comes by again, you know, you may be scrambling right. to like work on your online presence like some some did during the pandemic. But yeah, that's an interesting right. perspective. Well, thank you, Hillary. This was really informative. I think, again, so many people are curious about like working with wholesale. It's such like a mm -hmm. mysterious thing. So it's good to hear directly from a designer about it. Yeah, I'm happy to share. What did you think about the interview? Are you excited to follow Hillary on this journey? I encourage you to check out Hillary's website, hillaryfink.com and follow her on Instagram at hillaryfinkjewelry. And those links will be in the show notes as well. Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment what you think. Okay, let's get into the goldmine. Welcome to another edition of the goldmine, a segment where I get personal and share insights on entrepreneurship, mindset, success, growth, all things business. In this week's goldmine, I want to draw some parallels between the worlds of tennis and marketing. Yes, you wouldn't think those have very much in common, but more specifically, I want to explore the difference between mastering quote-unquote perfect technique and pursuing impactful strategies that can set your business apart. Why am I talking about this? Well, after not playing for literally like 20 years, 
I recently picked up my tennis racket again and memories of my youth flooded back. I used to be deeply passionate about the sport, even played on my high school varsity tennis team. Tennis wasn't just a pastime, it was kind of my teenage identity. But somewhere along the way, I drifted away from the court And now that I'm getting back into it, I kind of wonder why I had abandoned this passion that really once defined me. So I'm thinking back on my early days on the tennis court. And really what drew me in back then was not necessarily the competitive edge or the relentless pursuit of victory. I really had this sheer joy of just being in the moment the sensation of the strokes connecting, the satisfaction of a well-hit ball. Tennis for me when I was younger was about the beauty of the movement, the artistry of each shot, just that pleasure of playing and usually being outside and like soaking up sunshine. And that's kind of part of why I never went further with it because there's an expectation that especially at that age, like, are you going to play competitively? Are you going to do this in college? Like, are you going to join leagues? And I just didn't have that competitive hunger, at least not for that sport. But my journey into tennis and my experiences in marketing kind of converge in this curious way. So when I first learned about marketing principles from textbooks back, I don't know, 15 years ago now, When you first learn about marketing, you're introduced to a world of techniques and theories the same way when you're learning a sport like tennis and you have to kind of know the foundation and the form and the perfect strokes, you know. But as I've grown in my professional career and I ventured into this real world of helping other businesses grow, something really became clear for me. There's no perfect stroke. There's no one-size-fits-all theory. There's no beautiful technique that guarantees success for business, that will give a business a competitive edge. So much like on the tennis court where hitting that perfect stroke doesn't necessarily translate to victory, marketing isn't just about applying the textbook knowledge, the the by-the-book best practices. It's about recognizing opportunities in the ever-shifting marketplace court, (laughs) let's call it. It's really about assessing your competitors' weaknesses while capitalizing on your own strengths. But it's also strategic. It's not like an all-out assault. And for some reason, I've really found this easier to do with my brain in the realm of marketing than with my body on the tennis court where I didn't have that strategic competitive drive. And I'm sharing this lesson with you because I hear many new business owners proclaiming that they're doing all the right things. They're following the established playbook. They've tried all the stuff that everyone's told them to do. But what I've learned is that breaking through to the next level and quote unquote winning, at least at the goals that you want to achieve, it requires so much more than mastering the perfect form, the basics. 
it requires more a keen eye for openings in the marketplace and also the courage to seize them. I don't mean this in a way that advocates being aggressive or overpowering. It's more about strategic play based on what works for you and your unique situation. Then again, if you genuinely love what you're doing for its own sake, the same way I just loved being on the tennis court and being in the sunshine and hitting the balls around, that's beautiful too. Maybe you're meant to hit the ball around and enjoy the game. But if you're a business owner and your heart yearns to make your business thrive and you have goals and you feel ambitious about your business, then that's really going to entail more than just the quote-unquote perfect shots. It involves recognizing the openings, finding your place in the rhythm of the marketplace, and making your move. So as you step onto the court of business, remember it's not just about perfect technique and doing all the right things and then feeling frustrated. It's about seeing opportunities and having the courage to engage It's a journey where the joy lies not just in the strokes, but also in that strategic dance of the game. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea. Feel free to drop me a message on Instagram DM, leave a review on the podcast, or comment on YouTube. Did you have any questions about today's episode? You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information.